On today's episode of Now Common Convos, we are discussing how communities and organizations can thrive while in quarantine. This episode was recorded on April 20th. Time is tough for organizations of all kinds and community builders, with teams working remotely, meetings and events being canceled, and more. So today we're talking about how communities and organizations can thrive while in quarantine. Our guest this week is Lou Rose Mercator. He's an experienced city builder and communications professional with a progressive career in the public and nonprofit sectors. He's currently the manager of the York Eglinton BIA, and he'll be going through uh, a bit of his history working in public engagement, nonprofits, and a lot more. I've had the opportunity to work with Lou Rose on a number of initiatives and organizations, including my own uh, nonprofit called Access. And uh, he shares a ton of insights and tips for both the nonprofit sector and small businesses during this difficult time. Welcome, Lou Rose. We are live on Now Common Convos today. Just getting started for our uh, weekly uh, Instagram Live series. Uh, we're going to be having a guest today by the name of Lou Rose Mercator. Um, he's going to be coming on shortly and we're going to talk about uh, community building and uh, what we can do during this uh, intense time for a lot of uh, organizations and communities. So I'm going to be adding Lou Rose right now welcome <laughs> hey daniel how are you i'm pretty good how's it going very good this is really cool this is the first time i'm doing an instagram live i was gonna say it's it's your first instagram live welcome so for now um we're gonna get started just by letting uh everyone know a little bit about your background. Um, not everyone saw the whole bio that we put in the event page. Um, obviously, you know, we've got to collaborate with each other on a few things in the past. And a lot of that is community stuff and nonprofit stuff. So if you could give us kind of a little bit of your background first, um, you can tell you can tell the whole story. That'd be awesome. Oh, the whole story. Okay. Yeah. Um, all right, well, I guess I'll start with my name. <laughs> uh, yes. My name is Lou Rose, um, and I know it's hard to pronounce uh, for a lot of people, but it's my, uh, I always tell the story of how I got it. It's my parents' name put together, my dad's name's Louie, and my mom's name's Rosa, and you put the two together, you get Lou Rose. Um, and it's, uh, if you have any Filipino friends, you know that it's a Filipino tradition to combine people's names together. Um, what's unique about my name is that it's the only Lou Rose in the whole world. Um, and as you know, I have a Google tracker every single time my name comes up <laughs> on Google. Um, and so, yeah, I think the first time we met, uh, Daniel, was probably like 12 years ago when uh, I was the coordinator for Youth Can Move the World. And I believe yes. you were graduating from high school back in the day. Oh, my goodness. Uh, yep. and, but you really came on board to help with uh, communications and social media at the time. Um, and so that's how we've uh, connected and um, have worked together and become friends over the last decade or so. Yep. Uh, but my background has always been in community organizing, in communications, uh, in public engagement. 
so in the past, I've worked, uh, I started my own nonprofit organization with uh, a lot of my close friends. So we, we started something called the Mississauga Youth Games. So it's a sport uh, and leadership program for kids here in Mississauga. Um, and then I've gone on to work for great organizations like Civic Action, uh, working with uh, the mayor now, Mayor John Tory, on a youth employment strategy for the greater Toronto region. Um, I worked with Volunteer Toronto, working uh, on a great initiative called Grassroots Growth. Um, yep. and that's how we support uh, small nonprofit organizations across the province of Ontario. Uh, and then from there, I worked for, um, oh, wow, you're really taking me through. through <laughs> um, organizations like Youth Employment S Services, or YES. Um, so you can see a thread that I've always been passionate about working with young people, and especially uh, vulnerable young people um, um, getting in those communities. Um, and then from there, I went on a really exciting uh, project working where with Waterfront Toronto. I was the manager of communications and public engagement for um, a really innovative new uh, project that we're hoping to bring to Toronto. So this is with Alphabet, which is sort of the parent company of uh, Google. Um, and so we're hoping to, we were planning um, sort of this new um, uh, futuristic, innovative new neighborhood district along the waterfront called Sidewalk Toronto. Yeah. Uh, so that was incredible in terms of how do we I work for the I work as a manager for the York Eglinton Business Improvement Area or the BIA. Um, and so this is a collection of business improvement districts across the city of Toronto and there's 83 of us. Um, and so it's really timely because uh, we represent sort of the main street businesses in the neighborhoods that people live in. Um, and so I'm excited to share some of the things that we've been doing to try to reach out to our members and our wider community uh, and also to hear what other people are doing out there. Exactly. That, that's, that's perfect. So you've kind of had that super like wide range of experience and now you're working on a very kind of focused area. Um, so for, the, for those people who don't know, um, can you explain a little bit of the dynamics of the York Eglinton BIA and what that area does include? Because how many, how many BIAs are there in Toronto? There's like... So there's 83 uh, BIAs in the city of Toronto. Um, and what's really fascinating is um, we actually pioneered BIAs, the idea of a BIA, 50 years ago in the city of nice. Toronto. And uh, nice. one of my, my BIA was one of the first in Toronto. I think we were... Uh, established in 1981, so way before you and I were even born, uh, this organization. <laughs> yeah. um, and so the purpose of the business improvement area is to really connect all the businesses in a particular way. Yorkville, St. Lawrence Market, uh, The Junction. So if you think of like the great neighborhoods out there, they're, they're I you know, most likely would have been a BIA who's helping to manage uh, the neighborhood. And so we have sort of three um, sort of goals as an organization, uh, as a BIA. One is to really um, coordinate sort of all the different city, city services and, and capital projects that happen in the neighborhood. So everything from like, you know, planting new tree shrubs or like flower beds to like banners to like garbage uh, pickups yep. to like bus shelters. 
So all those little details that uh, create the character of the neighborhood, the BIA would have a hand in sort of helping to coordinate. Right. In my particular area, I represent York, Eglinton. And so we're along Eglinton Avenue. So roughly between the Allen Expressway, so Eglinton West um, Station, all the way to Dufferin. Um, so we have about 250 businesses in my district alone. And it's wow. going through a transformative change because we're also, they're building a new Eglinton LRT line. Um, yeah. So in my section, they're building it underground. And we're the only... BIA that has about three has three new stations that they're building underground. So you could imagine the impact um, all the constructions having having on business. Yeah, uh, but it'll be exciting once all the once all the construction's done, and I think it'll be more accessible for people to uh, reach this neighborhood and all the great neighborhoods along Eglinton Avenue because it's going from sort of Mount Dennis all the way to uh, Kennedy Station in Scarborough. So it's going to really link the whole city of Toronto together. Yes. Uh, a lot more accessible for people to get to um, and then we also do we advocate for the businesses so especially during this time with all the construction that's happening there so working um, to make sure that we work with our partners at Metrolinx the city of Toronto and the province of Ontario um, because these businesses need support uh, during this construction phase yes. uh, and then the last thing is really the branding and communications piece um, so a lot of these uh, businesses are small family-run organizations, right? So they don't yeah. <laughs> have a big dedicated uh, person working on communication. So we help shine the spotlight and drive new customers and sales into the businesses. Right. So, and, and I've obviously worked, you know, a lot of experience with small businesses. And it's a very difficult time right now when we have... Yeah. Um, storefronts that are kind of forced to close obviously the ones that are in the you know, restaurant industry mm -hmm. or all all the non-essential ones are, are totally closed so um have you yeah, heard of barber shops and i need a i need a haircut so badly why do you think i'm wearing a hat <laughs> <laughs> so i wanted to know um what are some of the things that the businesses are saying to you and have you seen any interesting solutions where some of the businesses are able to offer their services in a in a creative way at all i think uh the, what i'm hearing for businesses is obviously that they need support um and so a lot of them are really uh feeling stressed and anxious during this time because they don't know when they're allowed to reopen yes uh, and so that's really and so they're looking for sort of relief uh, financial relief so as you know the uh the government uh, the federal government has been announcing a lot of great programs such as uh, wage subsidies and interest-free loans and for forgivable loans to these small businesses. Yeah. Um, and so part of the challenge is these announcements are happening really quickly. Um, and usually they are, the information is not available yet. So my job is to, uh, once that information does become available, how do we communicate and share that with the small businesses in our area? Um, so I think it's the information sharing is what they're, what they're looking for. And yeah. then the other, uh, the other challenge is um, we, you know, government is trying to do their best to, to support uh, small businesses during this time, but there's all these different announcements and government websites that are available. Um, and, and I think the average person would find it really confusing to navigate, you know, various government websites. So you have, you have to go to the city's website, the province's website, federal government's website, and then follow those different links. It can be really overwhelming. So one of the yes. things... Uh, businesses were asking for is there a, sort of a one-stop 
um, shop where they can go for all the information um, that actually lists all these government programs, regardless of whatever level. Um, and so the city of Toronto has been really good working with small businesses and BIAs and uh, actually the Toronto Region Board of Trade took the leadership role um, in terms of creating sort of a, a one-stop shop. So, um, so that's been fantastic in terms of getting that information out there. Yeah. Uh, in terms of innovative things that small businesses are doing right now, I think all of them are sort of employing the same strategies right now. Using social media, number one, to tell people that they are still open, that you could yes. you know, walk up um, and ordering um, and uh, you could do takeout. Um, and so hence why social media and communications is so important during this time so that people uh, know that the business is open and that you can continue to support them. Um, other yeah. innovative things is that if it's sort of a non-essential service, it's not a food outlet, obviously a lot of people are, are, are moving towards online sales. Um, and then I think um, that obviously has challenges to set up that um, initial get-go or infrastructure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But I think yeah. it, it's during this time, this is the way that I think the future was coming. So it's, it's forcing more businesses um, to move towards that direction already. That's, that's true. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I've, I've read a few things about that, obviously being in the digital marketing space that um, mm -hmm. not only for businesses and their own marketing strategy, but also for larger companies who have these internal communications yes. challenges they, that they haven't solved yet. And so yeah. now it's, it's really, um, forcing them to adapt and to use online communications platforms, you know, online internet services, data sharing, yeah. um, all that stuff that, you know, it was always available, but not everyone found it so, so urgent. Um, yeah. that being the future said, is here. You know? The future is here, yes. That being said, do you think there's any specific challenges that um, nonprofit organizations or at least community uh, groups, like so, some of the more grassroots groups, do you think there's any challenges that they're facing right now that you've seen um, as a result of, you know, the complete shutdown that we've been having? Um, yeah, definitely. And I know the sector is really struggling. Um, uh, I think the first thing is like just even keeping their staff together during this time, a lot of the right. organizations. So thankfully the, the federal government has responded and has uh, let nonprofits and charities um, sort of apply and be eligible, eligible for a lot of these different programs. Right. right. And then also, um, and so the other thing I didn't speak about is that um, I volunteer a lot with a lot of different organizations that I help co-found or I'm a volunteer for. Um, and as you know, for the nonprofit sector, we really rely on um, government grants, but also a big part of it is um, um, fundraising. And yes. so, you know, for one organization that I, I, I'm a co-founder of called Rise Tribe. So we're a Filipino youth mentorship organization. Literally just a week before we shut down the city, we had a, our first volunteer orientation. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, to start planning for our first major fundraiser that we were hoping to host in June of this wow. year. Um, and obviously that uh, we had to pause um, that, or we have to rethink our timeline uh, for actually making these, uh, making that happen. Uh, I know some um, charities had to, you know, we're in the middle of just about hosting their fundraisers and yes. have to phone them or have to cancel them outright. Um, and so I think this is also going to have to change the way that we do fundraising um, as, as a sector as well. 
Uh, and obviously it's the online platform to do that. But um, in terms of how do we become innovative? Um, so I know even for my own um, organization, we host an annual Sounds of Eglinton Festival. Um, and so we feature all these local artists um, in the neighborhood. So it's an annual festival in the city. So it's like our version of the Taste of the Danforth. When um, is that? So, so it's supposed to, it was supposed to be August 16th and 17th. So it was the, the weekend that the CNE uh, usually opens. Okay. Um, but as you know, a lot of the major festivals in the city have already been canceled. So they canceled Pride, Caravan. Yes. Um, and so like these are major staples um, and making Toronto great in the in the, in the summertime. Um, so I just had a meeting last week about like, how are we going to do this? You know, like this is something that we rely on to drive people to come visit our neighborhood, right? Yeah. Like, who knows uh, with, you know, with physical distancing uh, and the restrictions in place and I know the city of Toronto has canceled all permits of, until at least July the 1st. And I think mm -hmm. they even announced that Canada Day was canceled. It's, it's going to be a virtual celebration this year. So yes. that's the trend that we're going. We're going to do an online or we're going to do a virtual festival, basically. So we're okay. some of our initial ideas was, you know, keeping how do we shine a spotlight on our local artists in the neighborhood and also um, how do we support the small businesses? So we're thinking about sort of what happened this weekend with the uh, live broadcast with Lady Gaga. What was the name of that 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 uh, broadcast that happened on Saturday? Yeah, that I forget the name of it. It was through Global Citizen. Yes, that's right. Or, yeah. So we're gonna we're gonna do our mini version uh, with the sound of of sounds of Eglinton. So we're thinking about uh, pre-recording, perhaps artists performing inside. Um, our, our, our restaurants and different venues within the neighborhood and then cool. piecing together that we could um, broadcast out there to the the city and to the world. Uh, and so we could continue and perhaps even put like little commercials in between each set to highlight each of the individual businesses. So yep. we're, we're, we're pushing the innovation <laughs> for festivals Absolutely. this time around. Um, and I think a lot of, you'll see a lot of people will continue to start doing that. Yeah, now is definitely the time to be innovative. I think um, a lot of people, as we mentioned, same with individuals and, and individual companies, organizations and small businesses weren't necessarily prepared for yeah. what to do. So it has taken a while, right? It's been about, what, five or six weeks of since some of the shutdowns slowly started to happen um, and some of the events started being canceled even before that. But, um, you know, we luckily had our uh, our big access bread ideas pitch event. Oh right. Which I participated in. You're right. Like that was like that was right before. before. That was right before. Um so we got a couple of comments. So, yeah, Tony gave us the name One World Together at Home, which was the Global Citizen one. And yes. and that was really, really interesting to see because you had celebrities from all around. Um I was personally interested in how they were you know, what their tech setup was and how their lighting was <laughs> and how their cameras were. Some were better than others. You you can tell. Well, you could tell that some had some help actually getting it going and they had the right gear, whereas others just tried to do what they could. I mean, I was really surprised, like, with the audio quality of a couple of them. You know, you would think that the audio quality should be something they uh, consider at the beginning. But anyways, it's the first time a lot of people are doing this, right? Um, and, uh, well, and everybody's on right now, and I'm finding that the internet is slow everywhere. <laughs> yes. 
that's happening that's happening right now i think you're you're a little bit blurry on on my screen here <laughs> um and mafuz made a comment about you know he loves the idea of working with more talented artists which is great because mm -hmm. a lot of these people have nowhere to perform right now right they're that's totally right. out of work they yeah. they they can't really work remotely because their job is to go to events and performances and entertain people right so, you know, and I, I think that's the key is how do we create sort of these new spaces and opportunities um, to shine spotlights on our local artists. Um, and so yeah. I think we're going to be playing our part doing that. Perfect. And so would you say in the, I guess, the main street businesses, right, which is what normally uh, the business improvement areas comprise of, a lot of the storefronts, um, would you say that, you know, the push to e-commerce is something that a lot of them are asking for advice on or help with right now because i mean i i've seen a lot of requests come in about that um yeah so the ones that were obviously um doing it already are, are starting to see the benefits of being online so right. um right. you know their customers can continue to connect with them and they would bring that revenue in and so you're yes. right there's a there's a big sort of lag uh, for a lot of businesses um, to to go onto the online platforms, and the city of Toronto has actually recognized that. So there there was a great program between Tavia, so that's the um, association yep. of all the businesses in Toronto, um, and the city of Toronto's economic development office, where they created this great program yep. called Digital Main Street. Um, so they had squads of uh, of experts who are working in the neighborhoods, working one on one with the small businesses to get them um, set up with like Google business, with their social media accounts. Um, and yes. now a big focus are on e-commerce. Um, and the city of Toronto just announced uh, that they were gonna triple the budget for digital Main Street. Um, and so wow. it's uh, like close to like $750,000 that they're dedicating towards the program. So that that's fantastic. Yeah. Um, um, because there's obviously, it takes time to set up that infrastructure, right? And, and if you're not familiar with it, to actually uh, educate and teach somebody how to use these tools. For sure, for sure. Or support we get for that, the better. Yeah, I, I agree. Like you said, it's kind of hard when you're scrambling in a reactive state to get things going. Um, but I've seen a few um, restaurants and even grocery stores that are the independent ones. And they're, um, you know, actively trying to post specials every day on their own Instagram stories. Um, there was one in Vaughn who was kind of changing up their process a, a few times over the over the last mm -hmm. couple of weeks because they are learning from this. They're getting direct feedback from their customers. They're offering, you know, different ways you can submit your orders. Yes. Um, curbside pickup, advanced payments, scheduling, all this type of stuff. So it's, um, it's a lot to figure out. But... Uh, I would argue that there's a lot of opportunity in this as well. I don't know if you agree, but there there definitely is. <laughs> I'm laughing because I think, so we also have to educate customers how to use these new right. products, right? And so That's I'll true. give you an example of one. I, I wanted to, uh, uh, so for Filipinos, there's a, a fast food uh, place called Jollibee. Yes. So the other day I went um, to the one near Yorkdale Mall and uh, I thought it would be open because I heard it was open. Um, and so they, they were yelling at people that you couldn't, you were only there to pick up and you had to order online. Right. Uh, and so I've only had Uber Eats. So they were on DoorDash, I believe. So I downloaded the app to be able to order and waited in the parking lot. 
Uh, but the <laughs> problem is, is that my phone recognized that I lived in Mississauga um, and it automatically connected me to the Mississauga location. Oh, uh, no. <laughs> so I was sitting in the parking lot for 25 minutes, patiently waiting for my order. And then when it came time, that's when um, it gave me a ping, tell me it was ready for pickup. And I noticed it said Mississauga. And I just had a massive face palm. I was like, <laughs> oh my goodness. So thankfully, there's no traffic out there these days. So we were able to zoom to Mississauga <laughs> in 15 minutes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think uh, I think if I was to give advice to um, businesses, is it's it's also to educate your customers how to use the platform as well. Um, right. And so step-by-step uh, -step instructions on how to do this. Um, because my, and the other story I wanted to share is that uh, one of my favorite Portuguese chicken restaurants reopened here in Mississauga. So Mario's Chicken. Um, and so they had an online mobile app that you could um, uh, order food in, but then what happened is she was out there and then she noticed it was closed and it just dawned at her that her pickup time was actually for Saturday instead. Oh, no. Four hours later. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So we had to scramble to make uh, dinner uh, that evening. Um, yep. I think Tony's asking a question. Yes, yeah. So, so Tony wants to know what's the best way to keep up with the content that BIAs are kind of putting out there to promote the local businesses. Um, I'm just going to mention, to clarify as well, there's, there's the Ontario BIA Association. That's right. That kind of is like a list of all the BIAs that are um that are there and so available across the uh, province of ontario yes and then Atta. and then yeah yeah you can speak about the toronto one yeah so tabia would have uh, would be sort of the umbrella organization that has the links to all the social media for the 83 bias within the city of toronto and is that that's an acronym how do you spell that t is so it it's the t a b i a and okay. then the website would be um toronto-bia.com okay perfect yeah so that's that's really important because some of these businesses that we talked about they don't have the biggest um online presence or they're not super active right so well i was gonna say so i i just brought was brought on board to my bia because we weren't very good on social media so shout <laughs> out to my bia our our handle is york eglinton bia on yep. facebook twitter and social media and and um instagram but yes, you're right. A lot of these BIAs um, haven't been active. So I've been uh, asked to support other BIAs to get their social media up and running as well. Um, so I think the one thing about during this time is that this actually is a great time. So even if your organization, your nonprofit or your business is not on social media, this gives you the time and space to actually uh, start creating your strategy. Yep, yep. Exactly. Um, so from from your experience, let's switch a little bit to the nonprofit side too, because these community organizations, like, I mean, events is a huge one, right? The cultural yeah. organizations, the arts organizations, they rely on these events for, for funding. Um, from what I've seen, there hasn't been any cancellations of funding, let's say from, you know, Trillium Foundation or Layla Foundation, they haven't pulled funding um but what would you what, what are your thoughts i guess on how nonprofits and community associations can can operate right now mm. uh yeah i agree so a lot of them are small a lot of them are nimble organizations already so i think that uh, right. they're really resilient 
and are able to sort of uh, are flexible to actually change. So a good example is for the Rise Tribe organization. Yep. We had a series of monthly, we call them tribe series, where we partnered up with a local um, Filipino business or um, an industry, and we did sort of uh, interactive sort of uh, sessions with that particular uh, leader in the community. Um, so, for example, we went to like um, a gym out in Scarborough, and we did like an online, uh, we did a training session with them. And we talked nice. about fitness industry, right? So like, how do you do this during this time? So we've actually, we, it was funny. We're like, do we even have a YouTube channel? <laughs> <laughs> right. And thankfully right. we registered one, you know, like six years ago when we first started and posted one video. And there you go. thankfully people knew what the password is to get into it. But we moved online that we <laughs> wanted to continue the programming. Uh, and so now we have uh, the tribe series online. So I know a lot of different organizations are continuing to stay connected and bring yep. security closer. That was right at the name of the organization. Unlimited potential. Thank you, Tony. Great, great okay. um, out in uh, Scarborough. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's the key is I think you need to remain. Uh, I don't think you should shut down during this time. I think that's when you need to be innovative and think about um, how do you continue to connect with your audience and your community? Uh, yes. So we've been really successful at um, turning these in-person uh, events to online platforms where people are able to, so similar to what we're doing now, um, ask questions of a, the different panelists in a particular industry. So we did one around um, arts and theater and comedy. We just did one around the business of basketball, which is amazing. Cool. Uh, and so, yeah, I think that's one thing that nonprofits should do is I think you need to continue to remain relevant. And I think you need to take your programming online uh, in terms of. Um, so you're asking about sort of funding. Is that what? Yes. You're yeah, I think uh, I think the, the good thing is that governments have. Um, have recognized that this is a very critical industry in it. Uh, and so they have committed and trying to reassure organizations that the funding will be made available. If not, uh, even more funding will be available yeah. to these groups coming coming forward. Um, and so I think they just need to be prepared and start perhaps even doing a strategic planning session with your team about how you could actually, for the next couple of months, you know, operate in this new reality that we're in right now. And so that so is that your programming? Is that your... Uh, funding. So I've done that with a lot of the organizations that I volunteer with. So with Rise Tribe, another group that I work with is Proud Politics. Uh, so we were trying to figure out, okay, uh, we know that, you know, funding is going to be available within the next couple of months. How do we prepare ourselves to be able to take advantage of those funding streams? Yeah, there you go. And yeah, a part of that in the nonprofit world is looking at those grant cycles that come up you mm. know, as they go. But like you said, there's been some kind of emergency funding available through, through yeah. the government and through other foundations too. Um, I will mention too that uh, Canada Helps, which is an online you know, yeah. donation platform, they have reported that since COVID had started, donations were up 65%. Um, like I guess in that immediate time, and they said they had a surge of overall donation dollars surged 92%. Which yeah. is like, which is huge. So people are actually, yeah. it, it's a good thing, right? People are giving, but you have to actually, as an organization, you have to make uh, yourself present and let right. people know that you are acting during this time as well, right? 
it's a really good point. I think during this time, people want this opportunity to engage and support um, and to, to be able to help in the relief effort out there. And so the, the most successful organizations that I've seen are thriving during this times are the one that have a specific mandate and goal, um, whether, right. whether right. for support. So uh, is it, you know, a new program that you want to launch because it's going to uh, support a particular uh, vulnerable group or sector? Uh, I know the food banks are doing an amazing job sort of raising awareness um, that there's yeah. a great right now. So they're, they're looking for those donations. Um, and so, yeah, I think the, the one thing to do is I think you should think about how your organization could fit into um, the current sort of situation and where can you add value and impact um, with your fundraising efforts. That's really important. Yeah, adding value and impact as opposed to just kind of, you know, throwing yeah. a generic donation link up there. It's, it's really people want to know how they can directly respond to this right. crisis. Yeah. Right. Um, one thing, I'll give an example too, because you mentioned a couple of great uh, examples. Um, one of the organizations that uh, pitched at the Bread Idiots pitch, they're called Chatting mm. to Wellness. Um, they launched something innovative because their their organization relies on going to in-person, right. um, you know, seniors' homes and, and, and visiting actual people in their houses, right? So that's obviously not, you know, something that we can do right now with this uh, pandemic. So they launched something, uh, some virtual uh, chatting sessions. And what they do, they've done over 3,000 of them uh, in person over the last year or two. But now, just this week, they launched, um, well, they'll do, I think, every single night between 6 and 9 p.m. They'll do, uh, they have, like, a m number of volunteers that will do calls with seniors who are looking to just, wow. just talk, right? They're, they're lonely. Yeah. They might not have family around. Um, so it's great. They have all these volunteers. A lot of them are university yeah. students. Um, so that's a cool thing that they're doing to innovate and, and kudos to them for kind of doing it very quickly um, and pivoting because otherwise their program would have just been totally on hold. Right. Right. And we've got to remember that not everybody um, and, and there, it's a generational thing as well. Not everybody's connected. Uh, on online or on social media. Yes. Uh, and so you need to perhaps think about these more traditional ways of connecting with your community. So the, the, pho the, uh, the phone calls, one-on-one -on -one phone calls. And yep. even for my community, uh, I'm the president of my co-op board. Um, and so we have um, a lot of um, seniors who live in, in, our, in our neighborhood. You know, so they obviously are not, a lot of them are not on social media. Um, and a lot of them are too afraid to go to their mailboxes if we're going to have newsletters. So like even doing the, the phone call to check in on them. Right, right. It's really important. It, it goes a long way. And yeah. like you said, people, you know, we assume that everyone's connected because we're all, we all have, you know, social media and phones, but it, it's not the case for a lot of the populations. And, and a lot of them are, are getting left out too, right? right. So um, that's something where I think, yeah, that's, that's a critical part of community. And I think that if people start, you know, thinking about the, the people that are in need now, the most vulnerable people, hopefully that will continue post pandemic yes. as well. Right? Yes. It's, it's, and this is how we're strengthening and building resilience within our communities, uh, during this time, um, right. Right. helping one another. Um, yes. a point that I wanted to bring up is. I think 
another good strategy that I've seen a lot of organization, whether it's a small business, it's a nonprofit, or it's a community organization, is the the ones that are not just um, focusing on this COVID nineteen situation. Um, yeah. And so everybody is at home and is bored um, and are looking to be entertained. <laughs> uh, yeah. So the successful ones that I've seen have, have been using the opportunity to engage um, by producing new content, whether or not it's educational or, uh, or for entertainment purposes. Uh, but that's another way that you could utilize this time. It's to 100%. produce content that people uh, will, will find enjoyable, right? Yes, 100%. And that's one of the things that um, a lot of organizations, community groups, nonprofits, they don't, all, they don't often have time to produce this content because they're busy on the go, on the ground, yeah. making things happen, right? So this is a, a perfect time for organizations to capture some of their stories and you know, talk about the impact that they're making. Um, we, I'm gonna, we're gonna get to this comment as well, but um, I wanted to also mention that Now Creative Group is hosting a webinar specifically for nonprofits um, on how to communicate. And that means, like you said, it's not just talking and posting about COVID-19 all day, every day, right? Yes. Um, so we're gonna talk about how to communicate during the pandemic and what else you can put out there. Um, and what can you post? Because some people are a little bit nervous about, you know, what should they post? They're worried about being insensitive. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so that's happening on, on uh, April 28th. Um, and the link to that is already in uh, Now Creative Group's Instagram bio. If you're interested in joining, um, definitely, you know, definitely some valuable tips. We're going to have a couple of guest speakers. Henry, who you know, um, nice. will be on the webinar. Yes. Um, so yeah, I'll send out some info uh, about that as well. Um, okay, so we have a question. So Karen is asking, um, do we feel that the We Are Still Here For You campaigns have been oversaturated? And what are our thoughts on how the government can provide support to both renters and landlords alike to win-win? So let's let's talk about the first part. Uh, Great Lee question, Rose. Karen. Yeah. Yes. So yeah, so the we're we are still here for you campaigns. Um, a lot of businesses are doing that, which definitely I got an influx of email newsletters when this thing started. I don't know if you did. Mm -hmm. I probably was so, helping. Right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's it's it is important. I think back to our earlier discussion is we need to make sure people know that we're alive and right. active as a business and as a nonprofit. That's number one. Um, now, you know, we're, we're still here for you. I understand that can come across as kind of desperate or annoying after, after you see it hundreds of times. Um, so what else can people say and, and post, right? I think you just mentioned this, Lou Rose, post non-COVID related content, That's right? right? Yes. <laughs> Here's what we normally provide. You're right. Continue yeah. to provide this. Yeah, but that, that's still relevant to your your community, your cause, or your business, right? Um, yes. So for example, yeah. it was World Art Day um, the other day. Um, and so that we celebrated like this beautiful new mural that we commissioned in our neighborhood. And we were able to shine the spotlight on uh, the local artist that actually created the mural and also to tag all the businesses that were there. And yes. it got tons of likes and retweets and reshares. Um, yes. And but it was still sort of meaningful, and we're able to still drive sort of audiences towards our content. 
Um, so yeah, so I think the non, so I think it's important that uh, we continue to say that we're, we're there and we're there to support local businesses. But you're right. I think also during this phase, uh, I think I feel like we're flattening the curve out there and that businesses should be prepared to uh, have a plan for when the economy reopens and stores are allowed to yes. open. It, right. Uh, yes. so I think yeah. the end of the tunnel. So how do you how do you prepare yourself to, to bring back customers uh, to come back to your to your store? Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, some of the larger companies are, are doing a pretty good job with this because, yeah. you know, they're able to not only say we're still here for you, but they're actually able to do some uh, corporate donations and some community yeah. work, which then is a great signal and reminds you that, you know, they're they're a great place to shop. But and people are going to remember that of how you how you acted during this time, yes. they will remember yes. that you're, you're building uh, brand loyalty and, and customers uh, by the actions that you're taking during this time. 100%. Um, I will mention on that note, um, there's a, an organization that now is uh, a part of, it's called the Upside Foundation. Mm. It's where founders can actually uh, donate a percentage of their equity. So when they do sell wow. their business or get investment that gets donated to charities, um, yes. they launched something really uh, interesting called the home front um, and we're we're going to be supporting them as well so the home front it's it's a it's totally volunteer organization they have about 100 volunteers um, but their goal is to get donations um, corporate donations for PPE supplies wow. um, from companies that already have these supplies because we need kind of a bridge sometimes between the company yeah. and the cause um, and then they're also doing the you know, cash donations from businesses that are looking, where do I direct? I want to support COVID. Where do I direct it? Um, and then, of course, any other resources and businesses that are offering discounts, yeah. um, you know, where can that live? So uh, we're working uh, on a couple of projects, and I think we're, we already made a donation to the home front. But it's just the way that businesses can kind of come together and all support in, in one place. And I think that's, that's really important. Um, okay. So let's answer the part two for Karen's question here, which is the government, how can they support renters and landlords? I know I saw the Eglinton uh, BIA was posting very early on to yeah. kind of request support. Um, do you want to speak a little bit about that? Yeah, this is a really tough one. Um, and that was the, the biggest worry um, out there for a lot of these small businesses that they weren't able to uh, pay the rent uh, for the month of April. Um, and I think yeah. you know, the latest statistics I saw was that a quarter of businesses weren't able to make the payments for the month of April. I think it'll be really, uh, the, the big test will be happen in May when you know, you'll have a full month of no uh, revenue or businesses into your, into your um store yeah. and yeah. so people are really anxious about this um and so i think um you know our my strategy uh with my bia was to provide sort of useful tips and um to actually i think people were waiting for the government to sort of do sort of legislation where you would just cancel rent for the whole month or for the next couple of months yeah uh, some jurisdictions um like in the united states uh probably perhaps did that that didn't happen here in Canada, in Ontario. Um, and I think the advice that I was giving to um, both the renters was I think, um, and so we're talking about commercial um, establishments here, but I understand that people are renting um, in apartment buildings and your homes, right? Um, in residence. 
Yeah, I think you, you have to have uh, the biggest thing that I saw was that you had to have an honest conversation with your landlord. Um, and so to be able to say earlier on that you're that you're needing some sort of um, support or, or financial leniency um, for a, a certain amount of time. So I would yeah. give that for like for do you need help for one month or is it like three months, depending yeah. on your financial and employment situations? Yeah. And on the flip side, I think uh, it's the landlords need to, to be flexible and understanding that especially if you have a great tenant who has been paying on time, you know, and has a history of actually doing that, um, it, it, can you do some sort of flexibility there? And I know the government has been really, and the mayor so like, um, has been really trying to encourage yep. landlords um, to be flexible and supportive during this time um, because we all need to sort of... Um, work together uh, to ensure that we have, um, you know, viable communities and neighborhoods once this is over. So I think everybody needs to feel the pain. And I think the, the best advice is that everybody has an honest conversation um, with your landlord uh, about your current situation and to work out to some sort of agreement together. Um, yes. And wouldn't wait for the government to, to provide some sort of direction or action to this. For sure. What, and, and what they did provide for, I think it's it's available across Canada, you know, yeah. businesses can still apply for the emergency loan, which is right. $40,000, 10% of that you do not have to pay back if you yeah. make your, yeah, if you, if you make your payments, um, if you start paying it back within a year. But uh, what's very interesting is, you know, a lot of these businesses aren't actually able to qualify for that. Yeah. And so they, they need to work in collaboration with the landlords to figure out what to do. Um, you raise a really good point. You know, some of these businesses have been there for years, paying mm -hmm. on time all the time. So, mm -hmm. you know, there has to be, they're not doing this by choice, right? That's they're right. not, they're not just taking advantage of the situation and saying, Oh, I, I'm not going to pay rent this month because no one's paying rent. No, look at the cash flow, right? Look That's at the right. fact that sometimes sales are dramatically impacted. Yeah. Um, even, even if they didn't have to close. So, a lot of those situations are, are beyond anyone's control. Um, this is the reason why, you know, you would normally have at your house, you'd have some type of insurance if there's like a natural disaster. Right. It's the same kind of situation, but unfortunately, you know, the insurance doesn't exactly work that way with, uh, with businesses. Well, speaking about insurance, uh, I question a lot, should I continue to pay for my insurance premiums? And the answer is yes, you should. <laughs> okay. Especially during this time. Yeah. Please continue to pay that. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Because yeah. you, you never know what, what can go wrong. You don't want to be right. left uh, without coverage, too. Um, Luros, do you have anything else that you would like to add or say to uh, either people running an organization right now or trying to build up their community, especially people who are trying to, you know, make things more positive out there? Um, is there anything that you'd like to add or say to them? No, but I think I, I would love to recap because I think we went on a tangent in a lot of different directions. Yeah, yeah. Last little while. So just to summarize sort of like a three-step process, if you are were to try to bring your community closer together. Yeah. Uh, and so if I could do that, I think one is I think you need to connect and check in and tell people that you're there for them um, and that you're listening, right? Yes. Uh, and so I think that gives a lot of reassurance to people um, that they're able to connect with you um, um, and then perhaps feel less anxious during these times. Yes. So when you're running a business, a community organization or whatnot, 
I think just even just uh, connecting with people is the key part. Uh, two, I think it's to share the share information on a timely basis. Um, there's a lot of information that's happening out there. So if, can you share the information that's relevant to your community? Yes. And a lot of great organizations, you know, there's a language barriers to some communities is actually translating okay. some of the sites and the information out there, right? Yes. And the final point I want to make is that this is a great time to celebrate and entertain uh, your audiences and your customer base. Um, and so, yeah, the, it goes back to the point that not everything needs to be about COVID-19. Uh, this is something that, that you could take the time to celebrate and enjoy uh, your community with each other. That's awesome. Yeah, that, that's a really great summary. So um, I will make sure that we can kind of capture that and, and maybe post that on um, on our blog or on, on our Instagram post as well. Um, yeah. That being said, um, continue to follow Lou Rose and the BIA and Rise Tribe and, and the different initiatives he's part of because um, they are posting content uh, continuously. And a lot of that is, you know, not just the, like you said, information about the, the crisis, but also very positive, uh, uplifting content that we need right now and highlighting uh, positive things that others are doing in the, in the community. So um, definitely connect with Lou Rose if you haven't already. Um, he's, you know, he's very easy to find. He's the only Lou Rose. That's, that's right. The only Lou Rose that's out there. Um, yeah, I just want to say thank you to everyone who has joined us. And thank you so much, Lou Rose, for offering um, some value and some insights from your unique uh, vantage point. Um, we are going to be um, taking this and putting it up as a podcast as well. So uh, we have um, the Now Common Convos podcast, which is on Spotify. So our past episodes are on there as well. Uh, and for everyone else who's tuning in for the first time, we are on every Monday at 1.30 with uh, different guests. So thank you so much, Luros, for joining us. And we will thank talk you. very soon. Yes. Take care, everybody. Be safe. Take care. Stay strong. Bye.